Welcome to week number two of our series, Reaching Our Region. As we are moving toward Easter, uh, we are talking together about how we, we can be people who reach out to and who connect with our, our neighbors and uh, our friends, our family members, people that don't know Jesus Christ yet. And we're, we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark uh, how that will take us loving in the way that, that Jesus loved. You know, this summer, I think everyone is pretty aware that we're uh, planning to break ground on the next step in our next-gen journey, and uh, we are seeking uh, in God's leadership to build a new uh, worship center, and about a year from now, that is our our prayer and hope will be a reality. Uh, And as we, we look forward to that, as we think about that, we need to be reminded that to fulfill God's call on our church, uh, we need to do more than just build a building. We need to be people who are actually reaching out to those who don't know Christ and inviting them to become part of what God is doing here, helping them to come, bringing them in, seeking to connect with those people who who at this time in their lives do not know Jesus Christ. And in this series, we're seeing how that can happen as we look at accounts in Mark's gospel that just call us to love like Jesus loved, that call us to get out of our orbits of our own lives, that call us to get out onto the streets and connect with the people in our, our region. Today's story is found in the second chapter of Mark's gospel, and I want us to see in this story how God is calling us to raise the roof with someone in our lives to help them come to know Jesus Christ. Uh, The central idea that I want you to see today is this. You can write this down. We will only reach our region if we seek to introduce people to Jesus Christ. See, God is calling every one of us, not just a few of us, not just some of us, but every one of us to help someone meet Jesus. In fact, if you know Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is part, a central part of God's call on your life, to tell others about him, to let them know what he has done in your life. See, our our faith is centered on what the Bible calls the gospel, and you probably know this. The word gospel just means good news, and good news is always for sharing, isn't it? I mean, when you have good news in your life, no one has to prod you and remind you to share that good news. You just do it naturally, right? I mean, if you have good news going on in your life, you will tell people and you'll find people. Sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes you'll tell people who don't even want to hear what you have to share with them. Sometimes you'll keep telling people about your good news when they've heard it before and they're really tired of hearing about it, right? In fact, does anybody here know that my daughter got engaged a couple of weeks ago and we have some good news in our life? See, some of you didn't know that. Some of you are saying you told us that last week. I know. But it's good news. And you want to share good news, right? See, if we believe that the gospel is good news, if it's good news in our life, then we should just naturally, out of the overflow of that in our hearts, be telling other people about it. Sharing good news really is at the center of God's heart, and that means it ought to be at the center of God's people's heart. So we, we want to talk about uh, this today in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And what we're going to see is a story about some guys who love their friend. And they love their friend so much that they took extraordinary steps to introduce their friend to Jesus. I want you to write this question down before you read the story, and then I want you to think about the question after we talk about this today. Do you love someone enough to introduce them to Jesus? Do you love someone enough to introduce them to Jesus? That's what these guys did, and it changed all of their lives. All of these guys that we're going to see, they really were never the same again. Here's what Mark writes, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, when we talk about introducing people to Jesus, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not talking about you mastering some sales pitch that you know how to present to someone. I'm not talking to you about you learning some facts and learning some truths and being able to out-debate someone. I'm not talking about you kind of browbeating someone and kind of pushing them into a corner where they just kind of give in to you. I'm talking about you sharing the best news you've ever encountered in your life, sharing it lovingly, sharing it sensitively, sharing it freely, sharing it courageously because Jesus has loved you and you want someone else to know that love. That's what it means to introduce someone to Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, there are five principles I want you to see in this story. And here's the first one. It's really very simple. Invest the time. You have to invest the time. It it takes time to introduce someone to Jesus Christ. Now, let me set the scene for you and show you where I see that. Jesus has just finished his first preaching tour through Galilee. That's in Mark chapter 1. He has performed many miracles. He's taught to a lot of people. His fame is spreading. People are coming from everywhere to to hear him. And he decides that he's going to return to the village of Capernaum, which is his headquarters. And Mark tells us in chapter 2 at the beginning that he goes to his home. This is probably, scholars think, the home of Peter and Andrew. Jesus is looking for a little R&R. But the word gets out. Jesus is here. And people start coming, verses 1 and 2 tell us, from everywhere. The crowds jam into the house. They spill out onto the street. There are hundreds of people who are trying to see this prophet, to see this miracle worker from Nazareth. Now, think about this. Jesus is God's son. We know that. But he is also fully man. He is a human being. And if there was ever a time that he might have said, hey, guys, I'm tired. It's been a long week been with a lot of people. I've helped a lot of people. I need to rest. Come back later. It would have been this time right now. Jesus truly could have used some space. He truly could have used a time to rest. But what we see happening is that Jesus loves people so much that he's willing to invest time even when it's inconvenient. He just loves to hang out with people who are far from God. And that raises a question for us. Are we willing to invest time in people's lives even when it's inconvenient, even when we're, we're tired? We see this tendency in Jesus' ministry, this characteristic all through his ministry. Uh, just think of a few of these stories. You remember the story uh, in Luke chapter 19 of that that tax collector named Zacchaeus, that man who was a traitor to his own people. He stole people's money with exorbitant tax rates. Luke tells us he's a little short guy. And I, I just have to tell you, whenever I read this story, I see in Zacchaeus, I see Danny DeVito. That's who I see. <laughs> and so Jesus is coming, and Zacchaeus hears about it, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. So he climbs up in a tree where he can see, and, and Jesus stops under the tree, the sycamore tree that he's climbed up in, and he calls out and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Take me to your house, because Jesus wanted to spend time with him. Jesus wanted to hang out with him. In John chapter 2, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana and spends time with people. In John chapter 4, Jesus does something very unusual. In the heat of the day at noon, when no one else was out, he goes to Jacob's well and he hangs out with a Samaritan woman. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew, a former tax collector, throws a party for his former friends in the tax collecting business. And Jesus goes to this party over and over and over. We see Jesus investing time. And I'm telling you, it's still true today. If you want to introduce your friends to Jesus, you're going to have to invest some time. 
We just need to enter the world of people without God, and we need to spend enough time with them so that we really get to know them, so that we can truly show them God's love. We need to build authentic relationships of trust that earn us the right to talk to them about something so personal, so important as their eternal destiny. And this typically doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it does, but not usually. It usually takes an investment of time. Now, as soon as I say this, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking right now, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Mike. You get to, you know, commute across the town, Tracy, 10 minutes, big deal. You get to work up here at the church, you know, where the angels fly around all the time. You don't have to drive over the hill every day, commute four hours every day, and you already want me to come to church every Sunday, and you already want me to go to a small group, and you already want me to serve in a ministry. I mean, Pastor Jay never leaves me alone about that. You even want me to read my Bible and pray every day, and now, now you're telling me I got to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. Come on, man. I can't do everything. That's what some of you are thinking. Well, I have two comments. First comment is this. We all do the things we really want to do. Can we just be honest with ourselves for a minute? We all do the things we really want to do. Is anybody willing to, to be honest and just say amen, that's true? Amen. See, we just find time. Don't we find time? We make time for the stuff we really want to do. So let's be honest with yourself about that. Then secondly, here's my advice to you. My advice in this is not that you add a bunch of new stuff to your life, a bunch of new activities. My advice is that you do the things you're already doing. You just include some friends with you in some of those things who don't know Jesus yet. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me ask this question. How many of you eat every day? Could I just take a poll here? You eat every day. That's most of you. Uh, you eat every day. Well, just use some of your meals to eat with neighbors and eat with friends who don't know Christ. Just spend some time with them. Uh, many of you are really into sports. This weekend, March Madness. It's going to happen this weekend. It's going to happen the next weekend. Next weekend, we start the most important athletic sporting season of all, Major League Baseball. And if you don't agree with me, I don't care. <laughs> Go Giants. You know, baseball is starting. Some of you are into soccer. Some of you are into hockey. Some of you like to watch golf, and the Masters is coming. But whatever it is, here's the thing. You're going to spend hours in front of the TV watching something. Invite a friend. Invite a neighbor to watch it with you. In fact, guys, let me just tell you something. This could be right here a very good reason for you to buy a 4K Ultra HD TV <laughs> that you've been wanting, right? Honey, Pastor Mike says it's evangelism. <laughs> I'm helping you out here, right? See, what I'm trying to say is that it won't take one more minute to watch the game you're already going to watch. You're just doing it with someone, and you're going to build relationships as you talk and as you laugh with them during that game. You say, I don't do any of those things. That's fine. Every one of us has some interests and hobbies that we do, and we can use to invest time into other people's lives. So what are yours? What are yours? I want you to write this down. Studies have shown that the average person needs to hear the good news of Jesus seven times before they make a commitment to follow him. Are, are you willing to invest the time? Are you willing to invest the time? It's a very important part of introducing our friends to Jesus Christ. Let me show you the second thing. The next thing it takes to introduce people to Jesus is to live with a sense of urgency. Now, I want you to try to enter into this story um, in, in some ways. I want you to imagine for a moment what life must have been like for this man. You see, being a paralytic in the ancient world would have meant that his entire world, his entire life was a mat, probably three feet by six feet. A mat is where he lived. It is all that he knew. Every day, someone else has to feed him. Someone else has to clothe him. Someone else has to move him to, to prevent bed sores. Someone else has to clean him when he soils himself. There were no medical treatments that could help him. There were no surgeries. There was no rehab. There was no hope, as far as he knew. 
And his condition, his only option was just to go through life as a beggar. And so he would lay on his mat by the side of the road day after day, month after month, year after year, just waiting for whoever might stop and drop a few coins on the mat. That's how he lived. And you know what? He was a real human being, and he had dreams like we all would have. And in his dreams, I'm sure he dreamed that he had a healthy body. He dreamed that he could run, and he could walk, and he could do good work with his hands. In his dreams, he probably was married, and he could play with his kids. And every morning, he'd wake up, and he'd look up at a ceiling of a room that he would never walk out of. I mean, just try to think, try to imagine what that would be like to look at a body that holds you as a prisoner every day, to look at this mat that is your whole world and to know that you would never be free, no money, no job, but what looks like no future. What has this guy got going for him? Well, one thing, just one thing, he had amazing friends. In fact, maybe you could think of it this way. I would say this guy is in one of the killer small groups of all time. This is what verse 3 tells us. He says he has four friends. And these friends had the sense of urgency because these friends knew this man's only hope was Jesus. What I think this story is telling us is if we want to introduce people to Jesus, we need to live with this kind of urgency. And to do that, I need to tell you something. We need to correctly understand the predicament of someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, someone who is what the Bible calls lost. And what the Bible tells us is reflected in this man's story. This paralytic could not come to Jesus on his own. I wonder if you've ever stopped to realize that this is exactly the predicament of every person in the world who doesn't know God. They cannot come to Jesus on their own. Sometimes we we may find ourselves thinking that people far from God possess spiritual capabilities on their own, and maybe we believe that they are just sort of naturally interested in God and spiritual things. And so we we may find ourselves thinking, if we just do things right at the church, and we have nice music and good teaching and good programs for the kids, and people will come, you know, Field of Dreams church work. If we build it, they will come, that sort of thing. But you know, the Bible never teaches anything like that. And that's actually never been true. It's even less true today in our culture than it's ever been before. We live in this culture that is rapidly moving farther and farther away from God. Do you know what the fastest growing religious group in our culture is today? It's a group called the nuns, the people who don't have any religious beliefs or connections. It's the group of people who self-identify as atheists and agnostics or they just say, I don't have any connection to any organized religion. In 1990, that group in America was in single digits. Today, it's almost one-fourth of the adult population. We live in a time where, where people really, truly don't care too much about the things of God. This sociological reality, though, highlights what the Bible has always taught theologically, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 tells us that people apart from God are spiritually dead in their sins. They are people who do not see or hear spiritual things. They're not able to comprehend spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says the person without the Holy Spirit cannot accept the things of God because those things are spiritually discerned. You say, well, what are the implications of that? Well, let me ask you this question. Think of it this way. Has a, have any of us ever seen a, a dead person get up and walk? And uh, I'm not talking about watching The Walking Dead. That doesn't count. That's television, right? It's not real. Why would we expect a spiritually dead person to get up and come to God on their own? Here's what the Bible tells us. If a spiritually dead person comes to Christ... God has done a previous work in their hearts, and God brings someone who is spiritually alive to them to go and bring them. And according to Jesus, according to the gospel, that someone is you and me. In other words, it's not going to happen in God's providence without us. And Paul says that people on their own don't seek God. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 says no one seeks for God, not even one person People apart from God on their own would rather go shopping or watch 
March Madness or work in their gardens or just be with their families. For a person who is lost to begin seeking God, something has to happen, always. God has to step in, and the way he usually does it is to send someone like you or like me. See, we have to go and get them if we're going to introduce them to Christ. Is that a part of our lives? Are we initiating relationships? Are we seeking to reach out to them? You say, well, how do you do that? Well, actually, the last three principles I want to show you today help answer that question. Here's the third thing. Make a commitment to teamwork. Make a commitment to teamwork. This should be encouraging to some of us because we think, I can't do this on my own. Well, you don't have to do it on your own. In fact, teamwork really is one of the best ways for us to introduce our friends to Jesus. And notice again, in verse 3, Mark points out the reality that four men carried their friend to Jesus. Not one man, not two, but four. I again think there are at least two reasons that we need teamwork to love our friends to Jesus. The first is pretty obvious. We can do more together than alone. Now, we can do some things on our own, but not nearly as much as we can do together. I mean, it's kind of silly maybe, but what if just one guy tried to bring this friend to Jesus? He, you know, might have dropped him a couple times. He might have had to drag him on the ground. It wouldn't have worked real well, right? You need four guys, one at each corner of the mat. And this just highlights the reality that I think we all know there's incredible strength in numbers. A few years ago, there was a farmer in Bruno, Nebraska, named Herman Ostry, and he had a problem. And his problem was that his barn floor was under 29 inches of water, like almost up to your waist, because of a rising creek. And he needed to move this entire barn. It weighed 17,000 pounds. He needed, to move, he needed to move it to a new foundation that was 143 feet away. And so he invited a few friends over for a barn raising, and his son, Mike, devised a, a latticework of steel tubing. He nailed and bolted and welded it to the barn inside and out. They put hundreds of handles onto this, this uh, latticework of, of tubing. And after one practice lift, 344 volunteers picked the barn up and walked it slowly up an incline, each volunteer supporting less than 50 pounds. And in three minutes, this new barn was on a totally new foundation. Isn't it true that amazing things can happen when people work together? Some of you are going to be really encouraged by this because you're hearing all this and thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. Well, the Bible isn't telling you you have to do it on your own. Uh, you, You can do things with other people that you'd never try on your own. That's why God put you in the body of Christ. I read one man who said about this story. He said, I'm the fourth man here who put his hand on the mat. I'm not the kind who leads boldly in initiating things, but I love to be with the guys who do. Maybe that's you. It takes a team to introduce people to Jesus. Are you on the team? And then the second thing I see is that we need a commitment to teamwork because the more we work together, the more we just naturally draw people to Jesus, the more our friends will be attracted to him. See, it kind of works like this. If, if people outside God's family do not see the people inside God's family working together and loving each other, why would they want anything to do with Jesus? I mean, don't they have enough problems already? One of the most important things that Jesus ever prayed for his people is in John 17. He said this, my prayer is not for them, that's the apostles, not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and that's us. Jesus says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. And here's the reason. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Teamwork is so incredibly powerful. And it's, 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 for, it's because of this reason. People are dying for love. 
people are dying for authentic relationships. And the more you and I love one another truly and authentically and deeply, the more they see it and the more they're drawn to that, the more we work together, the more attractive the gospel is as we are unified, working as a team. There's another thing we need to know about teamwork. It's important to keep in mind. Teamwork is always costly because when you're on a team, no one gets their way all the time, right? Again, kind of silly maybe, but what if, what if three of these guys wanted to run and one guy wanted to go slow? Something's going to happen, not good. What if, they're, what if they're going down the path to where Jesus is and they come to a tree and two guys want to go left and two guys want to go right? They had to work together to introduce their friend to Jesus. So that's why Jesus once told his disciples, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how they hear. That's how they know when we're part of a team. And again, I ask you, are you part of a team? Are you working with other people? Here, here's the fourth principle, very important. Develop an openness to creativity. Now these four friends tell their friend he's going to see Jesus. They say, we'll pick you up at nine. And he doesn't have much choice about this because, of course, when they pick him up, they pick him up. And they get to this home where Jesus is, and it's packed, as we've read. Again, in that time, you've got to understand the culture of the day. There wasn't a lot going on. They, they couldn't go to InShape. They couldn't eat out at Chili's. They couldn't go to the movies. People back then, they didn't stay home and do meaningful, you know, lifelong, valuable things like checking your Facebook or binging on Netflix. They couldn't do that stuff. There just wasn't much to do. And so if something happened at someone's house, the word spread rapidly. Everyone flocked there. Everyone wanted to be there. Another thing, homes were generally open in that day. It was a very hospitable culture. And so when you, you started your day in the morning, you opened the door to your house, it stayed open all day. People came in, they went out. Was, you just walk into other people's houses. Nobody thought anything of it. And so if something was happening in a culture like that, everyone's going to be there. And Jesus was happening. And this house is packed. Now, if you read carefully, you'll see Mark goes to some length to describe this. He, he talks about how there's no room not only in the house, but not even outside the door. He's, try, he's trying to describe how people were crowded in everywhere to see Jesus. And so on this scene, just imagine these guys come and try to imagine how frustrated that they were. Jesus is so close, but they can't get to him. What will they do? I was kind of imagining this, trying to think about it. You know, in every group, there's always some guy's the leader. He's a management guy. You know, and maybe, maybe one of these guys says, you know what, we've got to get our friends to Jesus and we don't know what's gonna, how it's going to happen, so let's have a brainstorming session. And you know, when you're brainstorming, there's no such thing as a bad idea. <laughs> and then maybe one of them gets an idea. And I see him as like maybe the youngest guy, kind of an out-of-the-box thinker. Maybe he was, I don't know, tattooed and pierced, wearing plaid and a big old bushy beard. And he's just this, he's just this creative guy and he says, dudes, what if we, I don't know, you know, like, make a hole? What if we, like, you know, lower him through the roof? Oh. <laughs> the management guy says, okay, any other ideas? <laughs> but they don't have any. And so the hole in the roof idea is the only thing they have. It's unorthodox. No one's ever done this before but they are desperate to get to Jesus. These friends have decided they will not let anything get in their way. No obstacle will stand between them and this Jesus. So strong is their trust in Jesus. So great is their love for their friend. And so they go with the hole in the roof idea. Now again, a different day, different time. And in that day, it was common for houses to have these flat roofs that would serve like what we would call a patio, and there would be a stairway up the side, and, and the roofs were built by laying logs kind of crossways with each other, and then you put smaller sticks on top of that, and then you put thatch on top of that, and then you put dirt on top of that, packed it in real good, and so it was actually possible to dig a hole in a roof. So that's what we're looking at, right? And just kind of imagine the scene. Now, put yourself inside the house where Jesus is teaching, and people are crowded all around. At some point, as these guys are up on the roof, you know, digging through, 
at some point, you know that dust starts to fall. And leaves and sticks come down, and there's a hole, and the sun breaks through, and then there's a bigger hole, and people are looking up, and all of a sudden, they begin to see four hands digging at the hole, making it larger, making it wider. Imagine being Peter, who owned this house. I mean, you know, you just agree to host the meeting, that's all, and now you're having an unscheduled skylight installation. I think Peter must have called the state farm agent and said, could this be covered because Jesus is here? We could call it an act of God, right? Here's a very important question. I want you to write this down. When was the last time you tried something creative to bring a friend to Jesus? I think it's pretty significant that when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he, he told them that he would make them fishers of men. This is Mark 1.17. It says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Why did Jesus say that? Is there anything about the act of fishing that has particular relevance to bringing people to Jesus? I, I think there's a lot of things, but I think one of the most important things is right here. Fishing takes creativity, I mean, some of the most creative people I know are fishermen, and it's not just the stories that they tell. They dream up all kinds of creative ways to catch fish. I mean, just think of all the, the tools that they use. They, they, they get lures that spin and hop and glisten. There's different kinds of bait tailored to, you know, be attracted to different kinds of fish. If they have a boat, they get sonar and radar on the boat, and they talk to other fishermen, and they read fishing magazines. They pay for fishing guides. They, they, they watch, watch the weather and study the water. I mean, all these different things just to catch fish. You know, but it's not just fishermen who are creative. I think all of you are creative in your own way. See, business people, they think of creative ways to produce and to market their products, right? If one thing doesn't work, they don't give up. They'll try something else. People who work on a fact, in a factory line in manufacturing, they do the same thing. They, they find new ways to get their jobs done. People who, who work in corporate offices, working with information technology or any kind of work like that, they are always dreaming up new ways, creative ways to handle the logistics, to move the product, to get people to buy what they're selling, whatever it is. People are thinking of creative ways to accomplish their objectives. Moms, moms are always thinking of creative ways not to kill their kids. <laughs> See, I, I am convinced that every one of us is a creative person in one way or another. And I just have to ask the question, why is it that we are so often not creative in sharing the greatest news in our life which is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Why don't we sit around and dream up creative ways to bring our friends to Jesus? There are so many things we can do if we're open to creativity. And again, just like I said earlier, some of you, you can build a relationship with a neighbor by just inviting them over to eat sometime, sharing a meal with them. When was the last time that you shared a meal in your home with a person who doesn't know Jesus? See, we all, I think, say we want to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Have you ever thought about what one of the most common things his opponents said about him? This guy is a person who eats with sinners. You want to be like Jesus? Some of you, you're really good with your hands. You have great mechanical, handyman kind of skills. You have people around you that you could do favors for, you could help just out of service to them because you want to connect with them. And in fact, if some of you are saying right now, I don't know how to do that. It's kind of, I'm kind of afraid to do that. I live at 1331 Hepburn Street and you can come practice at my house. I'll let you do that because my heart is large and I care about developing your spiritual gifts. You, you have things that you can share with other people. Some of you are good with kids, and maybe you could watch a neighbor's kids to give, you know, give them some free time. I mean, the possibilities are endless. There's so many things we could do. So much of what we do as a church is aimed at this direction. Just last night, our men's ministry sponsored a couple's night out, and 
And there were couples here with watching a movie and sharing a meal together. We provided childcare, And so you, you, know, you could have invited someone to be part of that. We're going to be having a men's breakfast in a couple of weeks that some of you guys could invite a, a friend to come to. Easter's coming three weeks from today. Are you praying about someone that you could invite to hear the good news of the resurrected Christ? In May, you're going to be hearing more about this in the weeks that are ahead, but in May, our, our women's ministry is going to be hosting a Friday night and Saturday morning event with a, a, a woman who has written a book that's won national awards. We have someone coming here from all the way uh, across the country into Canada. Uh, a nationally known speaker is going to be here, and some of you need to invite your friends to hear the, the message that's going to be, be shared. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on and on. If we have an openness to creativity and we work at doing creative things, we're going to find ways to connect with people and introduce them to Jesus. Let me give you the last thing. Number five, build a faith that takes risks. Now, I don't want to try to tell you it's always going to be easy because it's not. You're going to have to take some risks if you want to introduce someone to Jesus. But here's the thing. Whenever you take a risk at introducing someone to Jesus, you can always count on one person to be at work, and that person is God. God will always be with you. We can take risks because it's never just us. I saw a video uh, some time ago about someone who discovered this reality. It's a great story. I got to share it with you. I want you to watch this with me. You're watching Action News 5 at 10. A woman about to be mugged in the parking lot of a Walmart turned things around on her would-be attacker. Without a gun, without pepper spray, she protected herself. I was lucky enough to meet Pauline Jacoby in Dyersburg. She told me about the powerful words that saved her and could possibly save her attacker, too. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. 92-year-old Pauline Jacoby reads her Bible every day. Her strong faith keeps her going in life and in the process may have saved it. Jacoby had just finished putting away her groceries inside her car at a nearby Walmart. Only seconds after Jacoby got into her car, a man jumped in the passenger side. The man told Jacoby he had a gun and that he would shoot her if she didn't give him money. I said, no, I'm not going to give him my money. Jacoby told him no three times. Then she started to talk to him. You know, as quick as you kill me, I'll go to heaven and you go to hell. She told him to ask God for forgiveness. I said, Jesus is in this car and he goes with me everywhere I go. And uh, <laughs> he just sort of looked around and the tears began coming in his eyes. Jacoby ministered the man for 10 minutes inside her car. And he says, I, I think I'll go home and pray tonight. I said, you know, I can wait tonight. You can just pray anytime you want to. As tears were rolling down the man's face, Jacoby voluntarily gave him all the money she had, $10. And when I told him I was going to give him the money, I said, don't you spend it on whiskey either. <laughs> the man thanked her for the money and then... Reached over and kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> and walked away. They walked away. Well, Jacoby's story has caught national attention, and we've gotten so many calls and emails from church leaders who want to show her story to their congregations in order to teach others how to minister. Jacoby's story also aired on the Today Show. They tried to get her to come to New York for a visit. Too humble to take credit, Jacoby said, no thank you. She says she prefers spreading the word right here at home. In the meantime, police are still... Well, uh, that's a pretty unbelievable story, isn't it? Now, here's the question I have to ask. Is some 92-year-old woman more courageous than you are? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> me too. Um, but you know, the truth for her is the truth for us. When we take a risk, we're never alone. Uh, I love that line where she tells the guy who's told her he's going to kill her, go ahead, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. <laughs> because she really believed the truth that Jesus was there with her in that car. And he will be with you too.
when you're seeking to introduce people to Jesus. Now, come back to the story, and again, put yourself in that place. Everyone is looking up. They're seeing through this hole these faces of four friends staring down, asking nothing for themselves. And their only thought is, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. Because that's what great friends do for each other. They, they help each other get close to Jesus. But then you look at verse 5 and you see this very striking statement that's almost unprecedented. It says, when Jesus saw, and whose faith did he see? Their faith. Almost always in healing stories, we read about Jesus seeing the faith of the one asking for healing. Sometimes a parent for a child. But here the faith is not primarily of the man, but of his friends. Do you have any idea what the faith of one person can do for a friend? It moved these friends to dig a hole through a roof. Let me ask you another question. When's the last time you dug through a roof for a friend? When's the last time you you performed an extraordinary act of servanthood for the well-being of someone that you care for? These men dig through the roof. They lower their friend, and there is no record that they say anything. And it's not what Jesus hears that moves him. Mark says he saw their faith. What did he see? He sees a big hole in the roof, four faces, sweaty, dusty, hopeful faces, faces trusting that somehow Jesus has the kind of heart that will respond. They're thinking only of their friend. These guys don't worry about the embarrassment. They don't worry about what happens next. They don't worry about what people will think. They don't worry about the mess. They don't worry about the interruption. All they're thinking of is their friend and what Jesus can do in his life. I think when Jesus looked up and saw their faces, he saw a little slice of what God intended when he made human beings. Jesus sees their faith. And then Jesus turns and he looks down at this twisted motionless body of this man on the mat. Jesus sees not only a broken body, but a broken, fallen soul, just like every one of us. And Jesus speaks so tenderly to him. He says, son, child, your sins are forgiven. This man would have been mocked and shunned. He would have been judged by people in that day who assumed that his damaged body meant that he was spiritually inferior to them, that his paralysis meant that he had been judged by God. Jesus tells that man, you are clean, you are forgiven, you are right with God. Can you imagine what that did in his heart? See, Jesus is fulfilling the desires of these friends more than they ever hoped. Because when someone is your friend, always your greatest desire for them far more than their physical health, is their spiritual well-being. See, if someone's really my friend, then what I care most about is their soul. And this guy, these guys are this man's friends. And so their number one goal is to get him closer to Jesus. Do you have any friends like that? Are you a friend like that? Now, all of this sets up a contrast that we can't pass There are other people in the room who are very different. There are teachers of the law here. And you will notice that these men had no friends to bring to Jesus. They're supposed to be the spiritual ones, but apparently no one in their lives who's hurting or confused or lost, no one who needs Jesus. And I just have to ask here, who do you think was great in God's eyes in that moment? These experts who knew so much about the Bible, who could quote so many verses, who kept the law so scrupulously, but they did not have a single person in their lives that they cared for enough to introduce to Jesus. Who is greater? Those people or these kind of etiquette challenge roof crashers who would do anything for their friend? You know what I hope? I hope that Southwinds will always be a church of roof crashers, people willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. I hope that we will always remember that the greatest sign of a spiritually mature person is not a head that's crammed with knowledge, and that's not a bad thing, but instead it is a heart that desperately loves people and desperately loves Jesus and desperately wants to bring them together. See, these guys who are sitting and watching all this, judging all this, Verses 6 and 7, they're saying to each other, how can this man claim to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And of course, do you see, that's Jesus' point. In saying this, Jesus is making a staggering claim about who he is, his identity, that he has the right to forgive sins, and God alone has the right to forgive sins. Now, 
Jesus, because he's God, knows exactly what they're thinking. Wouldn't that be kind of freaky if you thought something and then someone responds to what you thought that you didn't say? In verse 10, Jesus says, just so you can see that I have this authority, that I'm not just blowing smoke, just so you can see, he now turns to this guy, he looks at this guy, and he says to this paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then there's silence. Everybody's holding their breath. Everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen. And then this man who has been paralyzed, he gets up. And those muscles in his legs, those muscles in his arms, which have been totally atrophied from years and years of non-use, they, they are strong. And he begins to fold his mat. He, 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 he gets it all together. And then he turns to walk out. And I think the crowd just kind of party to let him go. And everybody knew he'd never spend another moment on that mat. In just an instant, his world goes from three by six to as far as the east is from the west. And not only has his body been healed, but his heart and his soul, every sin cleansed, forgiven. You know, in that moment, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he's the healthiest guy in the room. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, walked out the door in full view of them all, and everyone was amazed, and everyone started to praise God. I mean, I think a party started right then, don't you? And I'll tell you where the party was the hottest, with this guy and his friends. See, here's where all this leads to for us. Here's the question I want you to answer for yourself. Don't you long to be in a story like that? Don't you want that to happen in your world? See, if it's going to happen in your world, you're going to need a faith that takes some risk. You're going to need to be willing to invest some time. You're going to need to be open to creativity and all the things we've been talking about. This story happens because somewhere along the line, this little group of people gets together and say, they said, we're going to be friends. And I think at the end of this guy's life, when he was an old man and Probably all of his other friends were using canes. He's still kind of hopping around because, you know, Jesus gave him a really good warranty. And his muscles are a lot newer than everyone else's. I think that this guy would have said that outside of the forgiveness of his sins and his eternal destiny with God, that the greatest gift in his life, not his legs, but his friends. There's no gift like a friend. So what do you have better to do in your life than to pursue a friendship with someone who doesn't know Jesus, a friendship that may end in their eternal destiny being turned around. See, I want to tell you something. When you get to the end of your life, what's really going to count is not how big your house was, not how high you climbed the corporate ladder, not how many trips you made around the world, not how many toys you've owned. What's going to matter are your friends the friends that you helped introduce to Jesus, the friends whose hearts were knit together with yours, the friends who laughed with you and cried with you and danced with you and who moved you a little closer to Jesus, that's what's going to matter in your life. And so will you do whatever it takes to introduce people to Jesus? See, our our vision as a church, the reason we're here is to help people who don't know God yet. Come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, and then become a fully devoted follower of his. That cannot happen unless we, those who are already here, are going to those who aren't here yet and telling them the best news we've ever heard, the news of the gospel. In just a minute, we're going to pray, but before we pray, I want you to do two things. Very simple. The first is this. I want you to look at these five principles, and I want you to make a choice Uh, I want you to choose which one of these you're going to start working on first. You don't have to do all five. Just pick one. And if you're a person who has a hard time making a decision um, and the person next to you knows that, I give them permission to reach over and circle one for you. You can just do that right now. Just make a decision, something God wants you to do. Just decide you're going to start praying about this. You're going to start taking action in this area. Here's the second thing. Before you leave this place, will you write down the name of someone that you can begin praying for, that you can begin looking for an opportunity to tell them the best news that you've ever heard, the news that has changed your life, the news that has changed your destiny. You want to introduce them to Jesus. Can you write down a name? Better yet, can you write down three names? 
God has some amazing things he wants to do in our church. I was just thinking this week, what would it be like if hundreds of people who come this Sunday write down a name and start praying and start looking for opportunities and start doing things that lead to them sharing the good news of Jesus with someone they love, with someone in their life? And what if, what if hundreds of those people respond to the gospel, change, see their lives change by the gospel, their sins forgiven, and they come and they begin learning about Jesus and following Jesus. They get baptized. What if after Easter, two weeks after Easter, we're having our baptism? What if there's a hundred or more people who come forward and say, I've decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What if that happened? Some of you say, Oh, well, that doesn't happen. It can. It can. It doesn't happen if we hear all these truths today, and then we don't do anything about it. It doesn't happen if you close your Bible and you start thinking, what's for lunch? It doesn't happen if you are thinking about what basketball game you're going to watch this afternoon and what kind of work you're going to have to do tomorrow, and you just put it out of your mind. But if you allow the Word of God to pierce your heart, and you begin to decide, I'm going to pray I'm going to act as God opens doors. I'm going to introduce someone I care about to Jesus Christ. It will happen. God's going to work. And we're going to be amazed. And we're going to rejoice. Just like those people did when they saw Jesus change someone's life. That's what I'm dreaming about. That's what I'm praying for. I hope you are too. Would you bow your heads right now as we pray? Father God, we simply give you, give you thanks for the grace that you have showed us in your son, Jesus. And Lord, each of us who has come to know him, we again confess our awareness that we deserve nothing that you have done for us. But because you loved us, because you set your affection on us in your son, Jesus Christ, because you sent him to die for us while we were yet sinners. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. And Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for how you've changed our lives. Lord, would you so work in our hearts that our gratitude compels us to share what we've found what you've done for us with someone else. Lord, I pray that right now you are stirring in each heart and mind here creative thoughts. Lord, that you are stirring courageous thoughts. I pray, Lord, even right now that there are people all across this room who are deciding and they're committing to obey you. Take a risk. Do whatever it takes. You are putting people on our hearts and minds, Lord, even now. We believe that. And it's happening. And so would you take our prayers, take our commitments, take our energies which you infuse your spirit with, and will you use those things to see life's change forever. Father, to see your kingdom expanded, to see your name glorified. That's ultimately, Lord, why we serve you and follow you, that you would be glorified through us. May it happen. We pray all together in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Everybody says, amen.